Hello and welcome to the Owls AmeriCast. I'm your host for today, Evan Skilleter in Ohio, bringing you a special edition of the show in light of recent events. James Allen will be joining me later on. And as as long as you've not been hiding in a hole for the last week, you've heard that Sheffield Wednesday will be starting the 2020-2021 campaign dead last in the table with minus 12 points after an independent panel found the Owls guilty of breaching the EFL's profit and sustainability regulations for the three-season accounting period ending with the 2017-18 season. To quickly summarize, this is due to the proceeds of the sale of the stadium being listed on the 2017-18 accounts, even though it was completed a year later. The case has been well documented since charges were filed by the EFL in November, but it's certainly a tough case to understand. So to hopefully clear up some of the confusion and gain a better understanding of what has happened, I'm delighted to be joined by Sheffield Wednesday writer for The Athletic, Nancy Frostick. I highly recommend you take a moment and head to The Athletic, subscribe, and check out Nancy's work. And Nancy, thank you so much for your time today. I'm, I'm happy to be chatting with you because there's a lot of information to digest here, and your coverage of the case has been phenomenal. So first off, thanks for your hard work on this and keeping Wednesday fans in the loop. I'm sure you've been quite busy. Oh, yeah. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be on. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's been kind of a nonstop couple of weeks just waiting and waiting and waiting. Like I'm sure every Wednesday fan has been fed up of waiting for this finally yeah. to, to be announced because we've kind of knew it was happening and then we knew it had finished. And then it was kind of like, you know, when's this news going to come out about the, the verdict? So in some ways, it's a relief that it's well, it's far from finished, but at least we've got the first, you know, major bit of news done. Um, and yeah, it certainly kept me busy over the weekend when that came out. It was um, 7 p.m. Friday night, UK time. So yeah. <laughs> really um, antisocial timing, but, you know, it, it comes out when it comes out. So did, did you sleep it off Friday night? I did. Yeah, I think I, I logged off you know, fairly late and then got straight back on it early Saturday morning. I think our piece went up, um, went up Saturday lunchtime. So um, there's, with what we do at The Athletic, it's slightly different. So luckily we don't have to sort of rush a piece out straight away. We can take a bit more time. So I I was grateful for that. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. So, so let's start at the beginning of this case. All right. There were, there were two charges the appointed commission were considering. One was for breaching the league's profit and sustainability regulations, and one was for breaching good faith to the EFL by withholding information from the league. The club were found guilty on the charge of breaching PNS, but not guilty on breaching good faith. And I know it's well documented, but can you briefly explain the stadium situation or the stadium sales situation and why we've been charged? Yeah, sure. So, um, the three-year accounting period for profitability and, and sustainability um, basically allows a club in the EFL to lose thirty-nine million or make a loss of thirty-nine million pounds over those three years. So Wednesday were cutting it close already going into that final um, year of the three-year period, which was the 2017-18 season, um, because they'd already made losses um fairly hefty losses in the in the first two years i think it was 10 million and then 20 million so they were already on 30 of their 39 million that they could lose um and so you know they were on course for for an even bigger um even bigger loss in in that third year um partly due to transfer policy and all sorts of other reasons wages and that all comes into it but um so they sold the the stadium um to the owners Dave Ponchanceri that cost 60 million um 
And in itself, that wouldn't have been a problem, I don't think. Um, We've not seen the full written verdict from the case just yet, but um, that in itself doesn't seem to be the issue. It's more the timing of the sale where we saw um, the the accounts were filed late for that 2017-18 period. Um, And then there was, you know, the stadium sale included on that when the sale appeared to have gone through a year later, um, set up in a company that had sort of, started uh, been founded a year later or been established with company's house here in the UK a bit uh, a year later so it's kind of um it's all to do with the timings and kind of yeah the, the weird accounting system that seems to happen over here so um with, with things being a, a bit delayed um with that so that's kind of the the financial side of it and what seems to have been um the real snagging point on on this charge and in, in the club had originally said that they had permission from the EFL to put this sale on those accounts. Is that correct? Uh, yes. Yeah, so I believe um, the club's stance all the way through has been basically one that the EFL were aware they were they were using this loophole in the rules, um, which has been used by Aston Villa, by Derby, and also by Reading. So you know, Wednesday are not the only people to do this. Um, so yeah, they were under, under the impression that the EFL had signed off on that and signed off on the accounts for that year, um, which is why they've, you know, all the way through fought back against this as strongly as they have. Um, and I think that's where that second charge, um, comes in, which is, uh, you know, about good faith. Um, and essentially I think obviously again, we've not seen the written reasons yet, so we don't know the full, um, thought process of, of the panel when deciding this but um it sounds like Wednesday did when these charges were brought in they did provide a hell of a lot of documents basically to back up you know their argument and back up their view on the on the case and so that's probably um swung in their favor when it's when it's gone in front of an independent panel um as it did so again you mentioned there's no definitive answer at least until we get a written explanation from the committee. But do you think it's fair to ask if if we didn't withhold information from the EFL like the charge implies, then they, they should have known about the stadium sale. They should have known we were going to put it on the 2017-18 accounts. So how is it an issue on either charge? Does the question make sense? Uh, yeah, it does. not it? And it's a question that, um, to be fair, a lot of fans have asked all the way through where it's kind of you know, um, basically questioning how the FL can can make those charges in the first place. And I think, again, this is where Derby find themselves in a similar situation. Um, They were also under the impression that the whole process had been signed off by the EFL. Um, So in some senses, um, the outcome of this, however people feel about it, it poses questions for Wednesday and what it means for the future for them. But really, again, this reflects back on the EFL again for them to maybe need to reassess um, their profitability regulations and how they enforce things because um, the EFL has now got a a new chairman. um, So it's kind of a slight transition period for them But and and in terms of how they impose regulations and how they sanction people not that the EFL has been directly in charge of this process because uh that's with the independent panel again so it's kind of it's a bit of a messy there's lots of questions that have come out of it and really um I don't know it it feels like a big moment for maybe how 
all parties can kind of iron out some of these kinks in the process that that probably have led to a big problem <laughs> which was this sure. was this case and i'm trying to i'm trying to think back to november when this first came out and and obviously we all sat down and, and tried to do our own research and figure out what happened what went amiss did you you mentioned the efl has a new commissioner the commissioner it wasn't this new commissioner appointed after those uh those accounts the 2718 accounts were filed so is there is there some disconnect between maybe the old commissioner knowing some stuff and the new commissioner not understanding things and going back and and trying to um i don't know make up perhaps uh not make not make up charges but um maybe go back on what the old commissioner may have have said or, or written off um it's quite hard to know obviously who knew what but I think one thing we're kind of safe to talk about is that um Rick Parry who's the new um new commissioner or new new chairman of um DFL is you know he's very experienced he's worked I think it was at Liverpool and he has worked at the Premier League before and um he's very keen to you know come down hard on cases of clubs at whatever level in the EFL kind of bending the rules or um you know sort of not meeting the expectations of of football clubs because you know we see it all over where with Berry or with Macclesfield where wages aren't being paid and those are all slightly different issues because it's administration and you know finances in a different sense whereas Wednesday have got the money <laughs> to spend right. um, and that's a problem other clubs obviously are, are fighting at the other end of the, of that issue and um I think, you know, they'd like to be tougher on those matters so that owners are more serious when they think about buying a football club in the first place and how they run their football clubs. So I think that's like a fair assumption to make about about the new um, regime, if, if you want to call it that, the EFL. Um, but as for charges and, and that sort of thing, um, I'm not sure kind of the extent of maybe what one time you know what what the people in one time knew and what the people another time knew but right. I I mean I feel like um it's it's fair that probably they brought the charges in the first place knowing what everyone knows maybe about the situation there's a lot of politics as well with the EFL in terms of pressure from certain clubs to bring those charges in the first place so yeah. um that's a bit of a, a long-winded answer but hopefully <laughs> sort of a, a helpful one Right. And again, I mean, we need to understand that there's still there's still a lack of clarity just from the league and from the committee. And, and again, we'll see that that written explanation, hopefully sometime this week or next week. And um, I guess it kind of depends on an appeal process as well. And I'll ask you this. Is there any word on whether or not Wednesday or even the EFL will appeal? I, I know it seems a 12 point deduction from an EFL standpoint should be sufficient. I think um, it's my understanding that the EFL are fairly content with with that verdict um, and with that outcome, um, purely because you know if you look at the precedent, which in this case has been Birmingham um, from their um, FFP charge, where, where I think they got docked nine in the end, uh, nine points last last season, um, using that as kind of a a benchmark you know 12 seems a reasonable assumption given that Wednesday have had that second um you know a good faith charge 
uh, cleared. So sure. um, I think they're fairly content with that. For Wednesday, I think it's a case of looking at when they get these written reasons. And that's definitely been like um, what I've heard from the club is that really they just want to take stock when they get these written reasons, find out you know why things have, have gone as they have. And if there's anything major that they object to, then you know, they might opt to uh, to make that appeal. I mean, they have um, 14 days to appeal and that will start from when they're getting the written reasons. So it's not already active, that 14-day period. It will be whenever this document comes to them and that comes from the independent panel that have made this de- decision. Um, so it's not like the EFL would get it first or Wednesday would get it first. Everyone gets it at the same time, sure. uh, same as the verdict. Okay. Well, well, your article on The Athletic titled Explained Sheffield Wednesday's Points Deduction Appeal and Rivals Lawsuits covers this even more in depth and goes into the potential impact this could have on the ongoing case of Derby and perhaps some legal actions uh, relegated clubs Charlton and Hall could, could or should take. So I highly encourage all listeners and, and everyone just to go out, out, check out that article. And as we said earlier, be sure to subscribe to The Athletic and follow Nancy's coverage of Sheffield Wednesday. Uh, Nancy, you know, we could talk about this for days, I'm sure, uh, and there's more information to come. So, you know, I don't want to keep talking in circles here, but I do uh, I do want to ask you, I'm really curious if you could shed some light just on what you've been up to during the pandemic and uh, maybe how the virus has impacted you and your line of work as a sports writer with really no sports matches to cover. <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, it's been um, sort of a strange time, but also um, I think where a lot of people um have been working from home or and finding that a strange process that that's actually something that um we do anyway at the athletic so we we have a central office in london but most of us just work remotely around the country mm-hmm. um and so i'm quite used to working from home and and all through lockdown here in the uk it was kind of you know a lot of people saying oh god i hate it you know my my kids are are interrupting my work or you know i've got to walk with the dog in the middle of the day and it's kind of like <laughs> i'm quite used to doing than and dealing with those distractions so that was good but um in terms of you know uh, the industry as a whole I, I felt just extremely lucky to to still be able to work um as usual because I know that some you know sports writers at regional papers and organizations here um had been put on on the furlough scheme the government furlough scheme so they, they actually weren't working at all they were just sort of on paid leave but um it's it's been it's been a challenge but I quite enjoyed that time just because I really got to sink my teeth into some different stuff um which like obviously we we launched here in the UK last August so I've not had like a full summer off where you can explore different ideas more features and interviews and that sort of stuff um so I kind of used that time as if that was the summer kind of knowing that football might come back so um, I got to do like a really long read piece on uh, Paolo Di Canio and, and Benito Carboni and I spoke to um, loads of their teammates and former managers and that was a really, uh, really enjoyable piece. Um, I did a, an interview with Moses Odebadjo as well, which was amazing because he was just telling me all about his career and his life and, you know, if, if you want an inspiring story, then, you know, his is really a great one. Um from from his childhood all the way through to you know just a couple of seasons ago and you kind of forget about that sometimes when you're lost in the in the throes of a match or just in the cycle of you know press conference match press conference match and as fast as that comes around in the championship so um it was really nice to explore that and then obviously games came back and um I think it was just a bit of a weird 
experience really because you know I'm definitely a firm believer that that football's nothing without fans and kind sure. of it's um the, there's not that buzz on on match day um quite like usual but you know hopefully um people will get to come back into the ground soon but yeah it's really odd and doing all our press conferences via zoom and um post-match press conferences via zoom as well where um I think maybe from a journalistic point of view you know usually you'd be able to ask so many questions and people would chip in with follow-ups to questions you ask um and on zoom that dynamic changes a little bit so it doesn't always favor um maybe like an interrogation <laughs> after a really right. bad loss or something that, that we might normally be able to to get. So um, it, it's definitely been interesting and challenging in different ways, but it's um, I've actually enjoyed it, you know, awesome. fairly well. But yeah, not bad. <laughs> good, good. Awesome. So what kind of, uh, what kind of coverage can subscribers expect outside of, you know, the, the great Wednesday coverage that you've mentioned? Um, you know, if, if they subscribe to the athletic, what, what kind of news and features might they be able to see? Um, so, I mean, I guess it's worth noting, um, just as a, a base point that like, if you subscribe to the athletic, you'll get, um, all the access to all the UK side and the US side. So mm-hmm. I'm assuming for you guys, like if you are fans of other sports, then you literally get everything, which is, you know, I mean, I'm biased, but I think it's good value for money. Oh, it's, it's but, great, um, great coverage. Great coverage. Yeah. So, I mean, as for like, I'm probably more well-versed in the UK football side, but, um, so we've got coverage for all 20 Premier League teams plus, um, those of us that are left at the EFL and obviously some of the guys that have been relegated this season. Um, but we just have such great features. So at the moment we've got um, a, a Premier League 60. So the top 60 players of the Premier League era and our writers who've gone in depth. There's one just gone up um, on Paolo Di Canio today. So that was a bit of a, a Wednesday link there. Um, but we've everything from that to um, my colleague Adam Crafton did a really great investigation into Hull City recently, which I didn't realise kind of the state the club was in, but it's just a really good deep dive into into what's going on there. Um, and he's also done a piece that went live today explaining um, women's football, um, like the transfer window for women's football, where some players or a lot of players don't even have a medical, um, you know, transfer fees for the whole of European women's football. I think it was were under £500,000 total last uh, last summer which is wild when you think about how much yeah. men's players move for wow. um so yeah there's stuff like that and then um you know some really hard-hitting stuff as well so um my colleague danny uh, danny taylor he's um prior even to joining the athletic he followed um the uh, child sex abuse um cases in the uk and he broke that story and you know just just today i think um or yesterday one of the the coaches that um you know was most accused in that um had been convicted again of further charges and you know is going to spend a long long time in prison now and you know it it's a real range from light-hearted stuff to hard-hitting um historical pieces or or you know hard-hitting current pieces that are really just um yeah like the biggest stories around and and hopefully i'd like to think we've got the best people to tell those stories but <laughs> like yeah. i say i'm biased so <laughs> well i'm not biased but i can tell you that uh that the athletic it has fantastic coverage great writers and again that goes for for everyone here in the united states as well we talk about some great coverage of, of all the major sports and um 
you know, all, all your favorite sports over in, in Europe as well. So, uh, Nancy, again, thank you, you so much for joining. We look forward, uh, look forward to your continued brilliant coverage of the club. We wish you all the best. Uh, and before you get out of here, how about uh, you tell people where they can find and follow you online? Yeah, sure. So um, I'm on Twitter. It's a very original handle, at <laughs> Nancy Frostick. Um, or you can follow, if you're really interested in just the UK side, um, we're on Twitter at, at The Athletic UK. So um, that's probably the best place to find me, to be honest. I'm not massive on other social media platforms. So yeah, at Nancy Frostick is uh, the place to find me. Awesome. Thanks again. We'll take a short break. And when we return, I'll chat with Manhattan Owl James Allen about the potential impact this may have on next season and beyond. Welcome back. And joining me now, as promised, James Allen in Manhattan. James. It's good to join you. Uh, I wish it was under better circumstances, but it's good to see you. Hey, likewise, Evan. Um, I suppose you could say it's under some circumstances. At least we have information now. Yeah, yeah, it's absolutely right. Um, I think at the end of the day, we all kind of expected just about exactly what we've gotten, right? 12-point deduction uh, levied next year and uh, a steep hill to climb. But uh from a, from a financial standpoint, this could actually be a slight benefit as we could see the sale of the stadium on later accounts and give us some extra spending room this summer, right? In theory. Um, there's a lot that's uh, still unknown in the form of the, the kind of the written verdict that will probably reveal whether or not the, the sale is permissible for future accounts. But yes, it's certainly a possibility that Wednesday will be able to realize that in the 18-19 accounts. And that makes the rolling three-year period that we're uh, we're in now um, that little bit easier to navigate from an FFP point of view. So may, maybe there's some uh, silver lining towards uh, towards the end of this process. So you've had a few days to di- digest the verdict. What have you been? I mean, well, just give me a broad overview of kind of what's been going through your head. Are you mad? Are you happy? Are you moot? I mean, what, where are you at? Honestly, Evan. Um, I'm pretty sanguine. I, I think this is probably exactly what we deserve, based on what I, the, the evidence that I can see. And you know, caveat that there's obviously still details to emerge, but it seems to me that the the case is pretty simple. That we probably did something that was permissible, but we didn't do it in the right way. Um, you know, just on face value, including the sale of a stadium in 2019 in your 2018 accounts doesn't make a lot of logical sense. Um, I think we all knew all that time back that FFP was always a challenge and without selling players it was kind of hard to see how we were going to wriggle out of it so assuming that we didn't um, then you know the laws are written the way they are and that means points deduction and eventually that catches up with you so I haven't really got any complaints with the 12 point deduction I I can see why other people see it as as unfair in terms of the timing it's certainly hugely unfortunate it's come after the season and that meant that it wasn't settled within the season just completed um, so in that respect you know, Wednesday have got lucky. We've got lucky in the fact that we haven't been relegated. We do have a shot at the championship next year. It's going to be an uphill battle, but we're going to be in a league with higher revenues from television. Um, we will still be able to attract championship quality caliber players. And, you know, if we have a really, really good season, then maybe we get out of this and we have a uh, we have a shot of things on a slightly more normal footing in, uh, in 18 months time. So, yeah, I mean, Wednesday have got it to play for in front of them, um, but I don't think we can really complain about a lot right now. 
Yeah, I mean, it's certainly the the 12-point deduction is certainly a concern for next season. If you take a look at this year's table, we would have finished uh, dead last, I think, with the 12-point deduction. But the last or the previous two seasons, uh, we would have been, I guess, 12 points clear relegation in 2018-19 and four points clear in the 17-18 campaign. So it's not really all doom and gloom at this point. I mean, just a pretty average Sheffield Wednesday season should see us... Uh, carry on in the championship into the next season um I guess from my standpoint kind of what I've been what I've been dealing with is is just kind of some frustration with Chancery in general it almost feels like in fact a couple years ago when we were spending all this money a friend of mine who is a big football fan um he said to me you know Chancery seems like the guy that won the lottery and just wanted to buy a football club and just you know just have a football club it, it it almost feels like he he's i hate to say it so brashly but it, it almost feels like he's using it as a toy right and and he's he's the, the efl is not not a organization to try to manipulate and it feels like he just was he he, he was just negligent right and, and almost like it, it it's just a club to him right he can do whatever yeah. he needs to do to get by yeah i mean look i i, I have no insight into exactly what dave von chancery's motivations are i can't tell you whether or not he's incredibly passionate about doing things his way or whether he's laissez-faire and you know it, it's just another another pastime another hobby i can't tell you if he's a man of honor and um trying to do things the right way and just simply failing or or whether he's cavalier and, and and making poor choices i mean you know everyone has opinions I'm, I'm not going to get into the opinions what i can tell you is that running an organization of the size and scale of a football club in the english championship requires discipline it requires detail it requires an infrastructure and it requires people who understand their role responsibilities and are able to to execute those in, in a professional capacity it seems that we can buy in legal advice pretty well because we've managed to hang on to this process for as long as we have. So we certainly know how to employ good lawyers. It does not appear that we were able to employ good accountants because the basic basic accounting practice of registering a sale in a prior year raises some real question marks. And what it really raises question marks more than anything else is about the management judgment of the club. Because if this was a a move that we knew we were going to have to deploy to protect our FFP situation, we should have done it 12 months earlier and it should have been registered in the year in which it was it was required. To do it haphazardly in this way is, is emblemic of an organization that is not run in a sophisticated and a well-planned manner um, and therefore is, has kind of always been waiting for things to catch up with itself. And unfortunately, that's what's happened on the football field and it's now what's happening off the field as well. So... Um, We've seen many examples in, in English football over the recent years of, of clubs and in American sports who, when you know ill run, um, get themselves into a bad way. I'm afraid Sheffield Wednesday are the latest example of that right now. So I can't tell you whether that's because Dayfon Chansiri, quote unquote, doesn't care or whether it's because Dayfon Chansiri cares too much. But what's definitely true is there is not enough um, sophistication and good practice in the middle protecting him and protecting the club. I suppose that's a more level-headed response uh to to mine i suppose but uh so so okay so we've already signed a a new player and we're looking at josh windass bringing him in full time um we kind of touched i mean we did touch on this in the last 
the last show, so we don't need to get into it too much. But um, seeing as how we do, we maybe do have some some wiggle room in the spending category. Uh, what do you see? What do you see us doing in the next few weeks to prepare for the next season, uh, as far as purchases or maybe even sales go? Um, well, I hope we sign about five or six players because that's probably the bare minimum <laughs> we're going to need to have a functioning squad. What's encouraging, you know, is you know I like the fact that we're going after youth. Um, you know, it looks like we're we're potentially going in for a second um, you know youth team uh, product from Manchester City, who obviously have an excellent development academy. So that is. That's all the right sort of signs that we're looking for younger, hungrier players. It's what Monk said at the end of the season he will be he will be looking for. So you know if we can convert that, that's great. You know, a couple of the young of uh, the lone players coming back would not be a bad thing at all. I mean, Windus had moments where he looked like he could certainly play off the shoulder and and you know concern defenders. Uh, I would like to see Jacob Murphy come back. I think he was a quality player in the second part of his loan period in particular, if Wednesday can, can strike that deal with Newcastle. So I think we're going to need you know those two and probably a couple of others. In terms of players out, look, I mean, I think most of the players who are leaving have left. Um, I think there are probably a couple of players at the, you know, the point of re-signing a contract who perhaps you know, we might be saying goodbye to, but I kind of hold out hope that, you know, a player like Kieran Lee, for example, who is at that point of contract expiry, perhaps, you know, still could make, play a role in a, in a tough championship season. So I think that's what Wednesday have got to do. They've got to bring in some youth, some pace some vigor. They've got to have players who are really up for it. I think they need a couple of seasoned experienced championship heads in there who can really kind of create some, some organization and some passion for this squad as well. Um, you know, really kind of fire them up. And um, and if they can judiciously hang on to a couple of players, whether it be ex loans or, or players who are at the expiry point of the contract, then you know we'll have a, we'll have a fighting squad for next season. Will it be good enough? Really, the sum of the parts is what matters. Um, the players can be good enough, but if the attitude and the culture in the club is wrong, then we will not get out of this situation. If they feel like they are a fighting unit who can grind out results in the championship, then 62 points, which is what we'll need, is um, is perfectly attainable. Well, thanks for that input, and uh, we want to hear what you have to say, the listener. So feel free to get a hold of us. You can find us on Twitter at Owls Americas, Instagram Owls Americas. Uh, you can email us at owlsamericas at gmail dot com. And I know this sounds like the uh, the spoken word outro to the the podcast. I guess I'll get to that, but I didn't even think about this before we started it, since it's kind of a special edition. I'm not even sure which episode we're on. I think it's, I think. It's 102, if, if I'm not mistaken, because we had 102 episodes ago. But either way, it's a special edition. It is, I'm looking at it here, it is episode 102. You find James on Twitter, at Manhattan Owl. James, I don't really have a, a good question for you. Did you say you were looking at buying a new car? <laughs> Uh, trying to, trying to. We've always, um, we've always practiced the New York lifestyle of not having a car and riding the subway. But riding mm-hmm. the subway these days is not the best idea. So we're we're trying to sort out our car. It just turns out there's not that many cars for sale because they've all been snapped up by people who are far swifter on the uptake than I am. So <laughs> much like Sheffield Wednesday and sale of Hillsborough, I'm finally cottoning on to the fact that it might be good to buy a car in a pandemic. So uh, hopefully, I'll manage to register it in the right accounting year. Right on. Well, you've been listening to episode 102 of the Owls AmeriCast brought to you by Sheffield Wednesday's I Follow Live match streaming service. I suppose you could sign up for that at swfc.co.uk slash I Follow, but I'd wait until maybe next season begins in order to uh, to get that content. But you can find us 
on owlsamericas.com and as we mentioned on Twitter and Instagram at owlsamericas. I think we're on Facebook at owlsamericas as well. Our podcast intro and bumpers are by fellow Wednesdayites, Reverend and the Makers. The podcast is on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, Podbean, and probably anywhere else you choose to download podcasts. There is no wrong way to listen to the show. Just do what feels right. Wherever you choose to consume Owls Americast, we ask that you rate and review the show as it helps more Wednesdayites find our ramblings. As I said, he is James Allen at Manhattan Owl. I'm Evan at Ohio Owl, and we'll see you here next time. Thank <laughs> you.